listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. This podcast is not approved for CME credit. Every diabetes treatment plan is different. Individual results may vary. Nothing you hear on this podcast should be considered medical advice. All claims are supported by clinical evidence referenced in the show notes. For clinical study results, please refer to the Dexcom G7 user guide. For product-related questions, please refer to the instructions for use. For complete safety information, go to Dexcom.com forward slash safety hyphen information. Welcome to Real Time Real Talk, a Dexcom podcast dedicated to pharmacists and other healthcare professionals on the front lines helping people thrive who live with diabetes. Dexcom is the leading developer of real-time continuous glucose monitoring, also known as RTCGM, and other digital technologies to better manage diabetes. Real-time CGM provides critical glycemic metrics for physicians, pharmacists, and diabetes specialists to act upon to help their patients live with as much freedom as possible. Dexcom empowers people to take control of diabetes through innovative, continuous glucose monitoring. Real-time Real Talk is a proud member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. For more information on all Dexcom technologies, products, and services, please visit Dexcom.com. That's D-E-X-C-O-M.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Real Time Real Talk, where we talk about all things continuous glucose monitoring. I'm your host, Cher Pastori, and today we are going to be talking about um, G7 in the use in pregnancy. Now, if you recall, our last episode was introducing the all-new Dexcom G7, so that was our um, most recent episode, and now we have the ability to use G7 in pregnancy, type 1 diabetes, type 2, and also gestational. So we have a great speaker on with us today, it's Dr. Amy Valent. And Dr. Relent is an associate professor in the Division of Maternal and Fetal Medicine in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at Oregon Health and Science University. Welcome, Dr. Valent. Thank you so much for the invitation. It's so great to be here. Oh, it's so great to see you and be with you today. Um, so I know you specialize in the use of CGM in pregnancy. So can you just tell us a little bit about your background and maybe your experience and kind of how you got started with CGM? Sure, absolutely. I am the medical director of our diabetes and pregnancy program and have been working with patients with diabetes of all types in pregnancy for over 10 years now, which is surprising to say. But really, you know, um, it's been exciting to kind of see the technology of CGM grow over time over the last 10 years, particularly in the pregnancy setting. Um, so really with working with amazing endocrinologists, as well as um, probably I learned the most from our patients, but through over the last several years, seeing the advancements in CGM technology, we've been able to really get a grasp of how we can best use this in pregnancy. Okay, great. So before we kind of get into um, how G7 will be used, can you just tell us a little bit about how you have currently been using it? I, I imagine it's with patients with type one, or maybe just talk a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, 
Currently, of course, uh, with the approval of G7 use in pregnancy, it's going to completely change the dynamics of how we use CGM in pregnancy. But as of right now, we've been using CGM primarily in patients with type 1 diabetes in pregnancy. It's been an amazing tool, as a lot of the studies have also shown that it's really given patients the uh, confidence to be able to manage their diabetes, especially since our pregnancy glucose targets are so much tighter in pregnancy. Um, So it's really been helpful in that situation. We do also use a CGM in folks who were able to get access to among our type two diabetes populations as well as some gestational diabetes, but certainly those populations have been much less frequent use, mostly for access and um, the pregnancy indication hasn't really been uh, approved up until now. Okay, and can we talk about how um, is diabetes managed without a CGM? Is there like multiple finger sticks a day, blood glucose logs, things like that? Yes. Um, Great question. Uh, So we currently, the standard of care for managing diabetes in pregnancy is certainly through self-capillary blood glucose measures or finger sticks. Um, All the different states across the U.S. have different uh, approvals for how often you're the max amounts of testing that you can do. But generally speaking, checking at least a fasting and one or two hours after a meal. Yeah, so I remember um, I used to practice as a registered dietitian and certified diabetes care and education specialist. um, And I would have um, people that would come to see me to talk about what they would eat and are their glucose metrics when they got diagnosed with gestational. And I remember, you know, it was like about eight finger sticks a day. And I always felt badly asking them to do that, but of course they did it, but it was, it was like at the time, what, what we needed to do. No, absolutely. And as, as providers and clinicians taking care of patients with diabetes, we need to have data to be able to know how to help best manage these patients. So of course, more data is always better, but the, with, especially in the gestational diabetes population that you're talking about, It is a brand new diagnosis. They have never experienced anything like this before. And so asking them to, one, accept the diagnosis that they have, uh, you know, a condition in pregnancy that they weren't expecting to receive, let alone now asking them to do lots of work throughout the day to be able to help us manage their their pregnancy the best and keeping them as safe and healthy as we can be is a lot of work and is very overwhelming for many people with gestational diabetes. Yes, good. So I de- we're definitely going to get to that later, talking more about data and how it can help you as a healthcare provider and also how it can help the patient. But before we get into that, I want to talk about, like, since CGM is new, relatively new in the use of pregnancy, how do you start having the conversation with your patients about, okay, I want you to try this. Can you just tell us a little bit about how that goes? Yeah, absolutely. For people with type 1 diabetes, most of them are actually coming into pregnancy already using CGM, which is wonderful. Um, It's very easy for them to get covered with CGM. So if they're not using it, then we talk about how we can help them manage their sugars much more effectively and give them confidence since, of course, 
pregnancy is a very dynamic time period where the physiology, the anatomy, metabolism is rapidly changing. There's no one day that's the same. So for even patients with type 1 or type 2 diabetes who think that they know their disease, which they absolutely do, pregnancy throws a big change for them. So CGM is a great way for them to still feel that they um, are in charge of what they know about what's going on with their body as far as glycemia goes. Um, and so we kind of start the conversation with that to give them more confidence and autonomy to be able to see what's going on in real time. Yeah, I remember. So I would have patients with type one diabetes and, you know, with A1Cs in the low sixes and they would become pregnant and they had everything down or we thought they had everything down, their carb tensin ratios, their correction factors. And then all of a sudden it just, oh, it went crazy. <laughs> no, so. absolutely. Well, and I think probably the most shocking time period for them, of course, is the first trimester or early second trimester where they actually, many of them become even more insulin sensitive than they were prior to pregnancy. So their general response to how they, you know, treat themselves is very different. And then of course that upward, upward escalator of pregnancy of insulin resistance is a complete shock to them of how much insulin they have to continue to go up. I can understand yes. how it could be very overwhelming for them. Yes. For sure, which is why I think CGM is such a great tool. Now, let's talk about, and I imagine it's different for different types of diabetes. Like, for sure, we already talked about type 1, if the person is likely already on a CGM. But if they aren't on a CGM, when do you introduce it to the patient? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, for patients with type 2 diabetes, oftentimes they've been primarily managed with A1Cs outside of pregnancy and not necessarily, unfortunately, coming in, checking in blood sugars. So certainly getting them to be feeling comfortable doing finger sticks is very important because, of course, finger sticks still play a role even in the world of CGM. Similarly, with patients with gestational diabetes, understanding finger sticks and understanding getting glucose feedback and how to utilize glucose feedback is really important. So generally speaking, when I introduce CGM is after they feel comfortable doing finger sticks, because that's a really important part of their management. And then seeing that those glucose numbers and understanding what, you know, having information feedback feels like, then we start to talk about CGM and how advantageous having all of that data is for them. And of course, the ability for technology to be able to provide information for them that they otherwise wouldn't get with just finger sticks. Okay. And I wanted to talk about maybe some connected systems. Do you also have patients that use insulin pumps with the CGM together? Yeah, absolutely. Primarily, uh, the population using insulin pumps in pregnancy are patients with type 1 diabetes. Um, again, many of them come into pregnancy with pump use already, uh, so they're very familiar with pumps and CGMs. It's a little bit of a more cautious application if patients aren't already coming into pregnancy with insulin pumps on. Obviously, we already talked about how overwhelming pregnancy can be, just even from understanding how our bodies respond to uh, different glucose challenges. So, you know, introducing pumps in pregnancy um, is usually individualized per the patient. 
However, CGM, of course, obtaining data and understanding how that feeds back in pregnancy is so important, regardless of pump use or not. Yes, I remember it was kind of like best case scenario. If, if for sure, if someone had type one, I could see them like six to 12 months before they even wanted to become pregnant. So we could start, you know, getting them on a pump if that was what we wanted and things like that. So uh, I want to talk a little bit about, so we have some listeners out there that are pharmacists or primary care physicians and don't really specialize in this field. So can you talk a little bit about maybe what some of the complications that could happen, um, having diabetes in pregnancy and, you know, from, from not having glucose numbers, um, in range. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, it's, uh, like I said, unfortunately, uh, pregnant people don't get to take a break from their babies and their placentas and babies don't get to take a break from, uh, their gestational carriers. So, you know, glycemia or glucose goes from the pregnant person to the fetus in a facilitated diffusion fashion. So I always like to use the analogy of a slide. So the higher the blood sugars, the steeper the slide. Babies, of course, just like adults, they don't uh, they don't want their glucoses in ranges that are higher than their general set points. And so they will also start to secrete insulin if they see higher numbers. Now, the consequences of all of this is dependent on at what point in pregnancy is the is the intrauterine environment or the womb influenced by elevated blood sugars. If they're elevated in the first trimester, then you know certainly the first ten weeks of pregnancy, that's when the babies are actively forming their organs and very sensitive to glycemic changes. The most sensitive organ systems that are um, that are influenced from a from a risk for having a birth defect is the cardiac system or the heart system, as well as the CNS or central nervous system. So brain all the way down through spine. Um, so these areas are particularly vulnerable to having birth defects in the face of having elevated blood sugars. Additionally, of course, when we think about the intrauterine environment, there's lots of factors that can influence that, but certainly glycemia can increase the risk for miscarriage stillbirth in uh, rare but higher risk cases. Um, and then the placenta, which is the lifeline between the pregnant person and the fetus, um, is also highly impacted by glucose too. And so we know that the placenta um, in particular is responsible when it's not functioning appropriately for increased risk for hypertensive spectrum disorder, or, or people may know it as preeclampsia. Um, which certainly puts higher risk for the pregnant individual as well as their baby. And then we can think about many other things because, of course, just like uh, insulin can is a growth factor, it can influence growth. So babies can be on the bigger side or abnormally small. Again, very dependent on how the environment is influenced um, by the glucose levels which then can have downstream consequences at time of delivery, increased rates of C-sections or birth injuries for babies. Um, and then, you know, when we think about the transition period from the womb to outside postnatally, uh, these babies are at a higher risk for getting low blood sugar, again, because their insulin is revved up. They don't have the 
counter-regulatory measures immediately after birth that are mature enough. And so they can have low blood sugars following delivery and then obviously being taken away from their parents to be having to spend time in the NICU is obviously can be very overwhelming and um, concerning for parents too that are new. Oh my gosh, I can't. It's like all those things that could possibly happen. It's just, it's really just a miracle, right? I mean, it is. Well, and I think it just goes to show why we care so much about, you know, controlling sugars in pregnancy, because we really do want to try to minimize these risks as much as possible. We may not be able to prevent these things with having the diagnosis of diabetes, but if we can help people reduce these risks, that is a huge win. Yes. And so that brings me to my next topic. And, and, you know, I'm a huge proponent in the in CGM and well before I, I started to work for Dexcom in clinical practice, just because I feel as though it really helps to manage glucose levels. It gives us the full picture. It can help us make actionable changes. It can help prevent hypoglycemia, things like this. So I'm clearly a huge proponent of it. But what I want to talk about now is how has using CGM with your patients, has it changed at all the way you manage diabetes? Well, I always like to say to my patients that um, our conversations are going to be a lot of investigative work for me, mostly because I want to understand, of course, we, we look at blood sugar values to be able to help us manage whether it's lifestyle modifications, whether it's medical nutrition therapy that would be helpful, or whether we need medications to kind of help support and augment control, but really to be able to tailor how to best optimize that is based off of blood sugars, but also um, it's not just about the blood sugar. We want to improve the whole sustainable self, both for the pregnant person and the fetus. So CGM has been amazing for the fact that it allows my detective work with patients to be a lot more directive. Um, so I can ask questions that are specific. And usually since patients are looking at this in real time, they themselves are doing their own detective work thinking, oh, wow, like I'm not feeling so good right now. And my sugar's high. I wonder what I must have done that uh, would have contributed to this. Or, wow, I really responded really well to that, you know, five minute walk. And how can I incorporate that to continue to sustain these really great goals that I'm doing. So I think that um, CGM has really helped both for the immediate feedback for patients to be their own investigators, but also for me as a clinician to be able to help navigate them to be able to find that confidence to do so. Right. So it sounds like, it, well, I don't want to put words into your mouth, but does it make certain aspects of your practice any easier? <laughs> or not, or not necessarily. Yeah. And I would say, you know, probably 95% of the time it makes my job easier. <laughs> and I say that because again, for me, having data and being able to direct my questions and conversations is so useful. It's also really useful because especially with the ability to be able to see glucose data, whether the patient is sitting in front of me or not, is also very helpful for the for the patient from a patient satisfaction perspective, but also for me to not have to 
have my staff get time to figure out how to get their glucose data and all of that. So from a time perspective, from an office setting, it's really helpful. The 5% of the time, and which is why I say that it's, it's more, it's not that it's not helpful. I would say that it's more, we have to understand how to utilize this technology for all different populations. Because like I said, for patients with type one and type two have been living with this disease longer than the pregnancy, they understand the importance of glucose and why we care about it. In patients with gestational diabetes who are newly getting the diagnosis, oftentimes I have to work with them to be able to understand one, the importance, they understand the pregnancy importance, but two is it's a, it's a really big learning curve, not only how to check sugars or how to manage the sugars, how to interpret this, how does that mean for their, for their current life as well as their long-term health? So there's lots of information that they have to swallow. So sometimes CGM data immediately right off the bat may also seem very overwhelming um, for them to get that data. So it's, it creates a lot more conversations, but also a lot more thoughtful conversations. So I would say that, again, majority of the time, it's so helpful. It just, with different populations, I think we just have to individualize and be thoughtful with our care. Oh, great. And then, so how would it be different in gestational diabetes? So would we maybe not set that many alerts? Would we just talk to our patients about just looking at their fasting numbers or things like this? Yeah, it's, you know, I think we're all still trying to figure this out because we're now in the realm where we can use this technology in this population more readily. But I will say, I just want to put it into perspective. If we checked, if we put a CGM on people who didn't have the diagnosis of gestational diabetes, and so we consider them having normal sugars in pregnancy, Pregnancy is interesting because obviously we have a fetus who needs glucose as well as a placenta that needs glucose for fuel metabolism. And so blood sugars generally are lower in pregnancy. If we looked at the normal, relatively normal ranges that have been have been reported in the literature, people are easily could be in the upper 50s to low 80s in the normal range, as well as their after meal values being in the low 100s. So Again, it puts it into a little bit of a different perspective. So certainly with alerts, the way that they are set for uh, CGMs right now, they may be alerting low, but not necessarily low for pregnancy. And so, and patients with gestational diabetes are more likely to be in that scenario where they may, especially if they have quote unquote, a more milder form, or just um, generally speaking, they can be lifestyle managed is that they may be in the lower ranges. And so certainly having alerts going off, you know, left and right wouldn't necessarily contribute to quality of life. So generally speaking, I um, do not put low alerts. <laughs> and I love the fact that they can be silenced in the G7 model for a while. Um, and so that'll be extremely helpful for our patients, just so that, you know, because they don't live in that area super long, but at least, you know, they're able to have that feedback. So for just patients with gestational diabetes, I generally tend to not do alerts. If we could just go with no alerts at all in that population, I think that it is really important. We follow patients very closely in pregnancy. So it's very different um, than outside of pregnancy. Generally speaking, we'll, we'll at least look at their blood sugars once a week, sometimes more than once a week 
depending on how aggressive we're being um, with improving or optimizing their sugars. So again, you know, we will be able to react to these uh, situations, whether they're low or high. Um, and most of the time, gestational diabetes, again, we don't worry about low sugars. They have a functioning pancreas. They have the metabolic system to be able to prevent them from having low blood sugars. And so um, we don't have to worry about that as much, of course, which is more of the dangers for patients with type 1 diabetes. Yeah, I mean, that's very helpful. Thank you for that explanation, for putting it into perspective. Um, but where I can see some value would be maybe the opposite, right? Like if they ate something and they're going too high, if they don't, if you don't want to put the alert on completely fine, but maybe they should, could look at their CGM after eating. So you can look at the arrow and then that would maybe help them make different choices the next time, things like that. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, I think that, yeah, certainly alerts to make them pay attention is great, but I also really appreciate the delayed feature because certainly we don't want prolonged elevations of sugars. And so um, understanding that is really important. And I can tell you patients with gestational diabetes do really care about their, uh, about their sugars. I'm not worried that they're not going to look at their CGM. It's more the fact of like, when should they be alarmed to maybe do more interventions to help them? And I think, as you mentioned, some of this is still new. So I'm not sure if it's happening now, but I just wonder whether if it is happening now or maybe sometime in the future, do you think that there would be value to like changing the alert settings for different trimesters in pregnancy? Yeah, it's it's a good question. For for patients with type one diabetes, um, we definitely will put alerts on all trimesters. Um, that is a helpful tool, especially in that first trimester where they're where they're more insulin sensitive and they're more likely to um, get into the low range and get hypoglycemia, it's very helpful. I would say with patients with type 2 diabetes, we also set alerts from the beginning, only for the fact that they now they're in a situation where they are paying attention um, much more closely than they were potentially prior to pregnancy. Um, and so, you know, getting that educational feedback and that learning curve from the get-go is really important, again, because we stated how important sugar control is from the beginning. And so um, setting alerts just for educational purposes, even for patients with type 2 diabetes in all trimesters is really important. Um, whether or not we actually set different alerts, I think we still have to work with that a little bit um, and understanding, you know, what are appropriate time and ranges uh, for these different populations that we want to try to achieve in pregnancy. Of course, we all want to strive for everyone to be 100% time and range. Um, but again, goal setting is really important and what's actually achievable in each trimester is also important. Yeah. And I think, you know, getting all this data and now that we Dexcom G7 can be used in pregnancy, I think that will be helpful to do more studies and more research and everything like that, either for, you know, time and range, even when a patient is pregnant and doesn't have diabetes, you know, not time and range, but what are the goals there? I think that would be important. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is absolutely just the beginning. Um, I cannot wait to see where this goes because having CGM and understanding this data and the, 
And the cadence of change across pregnancy is going to be wonderful in different populations, different um, people who are eating different cultural foods, having different lifestyles. This is going to be very, very game changing for the rest of um, the way that we practice. Good. Okay. I just want to quickly talk about just a few more things um, before we, I want to talk about clarity, but before I ask you that, um, could you talk a little bit about maybe someone who never has used continuous glucose monitoring, like how could they get started or what would maybe be like a couple things they could do? Yeah, great. Well, the first thing that patients can do if they are interested in CGM is of course, talking to their OB clinician who's caring for them, or if they happen to be working with a primary care provider, certainly an endocrinologist. Um, but just asking the question about CGM and if they think that that would be a good tool for them and also how can they get access to it. Once patients actually approach me about it, the first thing that we do and try, we of course talk about it, talk about some of the things that are specific to pregnancy. Um, and we kind of keep it a little bit basic though, because I think that again, overwhelming people with information right from the from this get-go can be challenging. So we kind of talk about basic things and then let's let's try to get it first. And so certainly with now the um, G7 and G6 are available through prescription, which is wonderful. We try to prescribe and we start from there. The other aspect of it too, while we're trying, because some, some patients are still struggling to get some coverage from that perspective, is that Dexcom has a wonderful program for clinicians to be able to have kind of the um, some uh, free CGMs, if you will, to be able to place onto patients just for them to kind of see how that technology goes for them. And so for me, that's a nice little bridge that we can provide to patients so that they can start seeing what this data looks like, um, understanding what that looks like while we're trying to work through getting access. Okay, yeah. So, and um, just so our listeners know, Dexcom, ha it's called a sample program. So we have we have a G6 sample program. It's called Hello Dexcom, and and you and you can get samples for your office and and use it for the patient. And we will have um, a Dexcom G7 sample program as well. So we talked a lot about data um, software for glucose management. So how do you use Clarity in your practice? Yeah. So because we pay so close attention week to week, uh, certainly there's different features that I think are educational for patients to see. The Probably the crux of where I start, AGP. The AGP is great because it has a nice summary of the time and range of where we can kind of adjust that time and range for what we would like for pregnancy, which is also a really nice feature of clarity is that you can make adjustments to that. But it also gives you the average glucose and mean glucose is so important for us. We try to target for at least 100, sometimes better if we can, um, but we at least have goals to strive for. So even if the week's average is above 100, then we can start to talk about, oh, well, we're when we start breaking the to help you improve trying to meet your average target. Um, so I love to start 
GP. I also would like to start with the, and then move on to the overlay. I think the overlay is great because again, I'm looking at a week's worth of data, maybe even less, a few days worth of data and being able to identify trends it's also helpful for patients to see that themselves is to see how variable they are from day to day as we all have different lifestyles on our weekends. And so the overlay is really great to kind of just get a general sense of trends from day to day. I think the most though, especially in the population with gestational diabetes in particular, is the daily. So the daily is so great because it can change the patient glucose ranges that you can look at more pregnancy specifics. So I highly encourage people to go under that feature of patient glucose range, just that. And then in the daily, you can see that and look at the um, glucose to glucose differences on a certain day and different days, but you can see across the board. So it's so hard to just kind of be able to identify trends really beautifully too. Yeah, those I loved um, the overview report. I remember, and then I loved the dailies because, as I mentioned, I'm a dietitian, so I would get like really into, oh, what did you eat here, and what did you do here, like probably weirdly into it. Um, but yeah, I love that daily report. Well, and I think too. I mean, the nice thing about the um, Dexcom apps for these is that patients can also input activity, their food, if they're you know taking medications, and so being able to correlate that with the CGM is really wonderful. Of course, patients that are you know who have had diabetes longer, such as those with type one and type two diabetes certainly have a little bit more of a cadence for that. Patients with gestational diabetes, I'm just happy to have the data. So, you know, certainly if they want to input it for themselves, it's great. But if they can't, then, you know, uh, just understanding what's happening trends, from day to day. Yeah, like the yes. trends are so useful. And even, you know, the arrows. And again, if the patient put on the alerts, just to see how it's changing, it's just so beneficial. So thank you so much. Thank you to all our listeners and um, tune in next time for another episode of Real Time Real Talk. For more information about Dexcom products, visit provider.dexcom.com. That's P-R-O-V-I-D-E-R dot D-E-X-C-O-M dot com. <laughs>